Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 188 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is September 26th, 2011. Got a great show for you this week on the podcast. Probably a record-setting number of questions after USC's disappointing loss in the desert to Arizona State. So we're going to try to get to each and every one of them. We have uh, Dan Weber coming up later on the show. He was out there in Tempe. Has a lot of insights of what happened to USC, how they lost to Arizona State. And we have in the first segment, as always... Coach Harvey Hyde. Coach, how you doing, man? What's up? I've recovered. I've recovered uh, like a bad hangover, but I'd say i uh, recovered. It's a new week. It's time to get after it. Uh, think positive and uh, watch the tapes and try to make some changes. And if that happens, then, of course, the future of the Trojan football should be bright. Uh, overall, you know, if you want me to get in that, for sure, why don't we thank our sponsor? Yeah, let's thank our sponsor. It's uh, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or call them at 1-800-888-7287. USC's got a home game coming up this weekend against Arizona. If you need tickets to that or tickets to anything, if you want to go to the theater, I hear there's some cool new thing at Nokia, like Iris or something, something like that. You could check that out. Any kind of sporting event in Southern California or around the country, give SCTickets.com a try and if you have questions, Coach, we're going to get to some of these questions, but I wanted to get your overview of the game first. But podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, and we got a lot of emails this week. Or give us a call, 206-888-6755. Please leave us a voicemail. we got a bunch of voicemail questions as well. So we're going to try to get to all of that. But, Coach, just maybe you know, give the, the 50,000 view of, of what your thoughts coming from that game. What were the big things that you thought of after seeing uh, USC lose to Arizona State? Well, uh, actually, what I saw is SC never never had a rhythm in the game offensively. Never had a rhythm. Two different philosophies. Uh, third quarter was a different philosophy. First half is a complete different philosophy. Fourth quarter was a disaster as far as uh, the way they played. Uh, they never slowed down Arizona State's offense. Uh, never got them out of rhythm. Why change anything? They did the same plays the entire game, so... Why change anything? Uh, you even heard uh, Kennard in the on the post-game interview said uh, they took us completely out of our uh, game plan, completely out of the timing. They spread the field, which I said all week they were going to do, spread the field and, and make you cover the receivers. And, 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 and their running back, uh, their passing game came off the run. And unfortunately, their running game started off big in the first series. The kid goes 70 yards for a touchdown run, which – which loosened them up completely and surprised uh, USC and surprised me too because Marshall ran down the sideline like he was a guard carrying a football. He was limping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I, and I just was shocked at how open that play was. They, they didn't rerun it enough for me to see actually what the blocking was on that. But it was unbelievable. And then he ends up scoring three rushing touchdowns, and they pass for two. 
And, of course, the USC offense did contribute a, a lot to the success of Arizona State by the turnovers and uh, the things that continually happen to the Trojans. They sometimes help a team more than the team helps himself. I'm not sure if the other team beats USC when that happens or USC beats themselves. And in this case, I think USC beat themselves. As far as in the game, I thought the play calling was questionable at times. I think you have to establish a running game. And again, I mentioned it last week, and I mentioned it again this week. When you're on the 10-yard line, really reverses in something you run. There's not enough field to cover, and they ran the reverse down there again, and I really couldn't understand that series whatsoever when they had to end up with a field goal, three field goals in the red zone without a touchdown is disastrous. And uh, that's what they had to settle with in the first half. They didn't convert on third downs, which is something you have to convert on. When it's third down and 10 or 15 or 13, you run the football instead of trying to throw something over the middle or enough to run a comeback or something to be able to get a first down play. Uh, the fly seems to be their only deep route. Uh, they got mismatched on the goal line by SC shorter corners being uh, out matched by bigger receivers where it's almost impossible to cover. So that's something I think they have to look at because I think people, when they watch films, say, hey, if they're not going to do anything to cover that up, we're going to do it. T.J. McDonald's uh, three personal foul penalties I think were ridiculous. They're taking, how do you play football anymore? I don't think you play football, especially the one out of bounds. I mean, please, the kid was going full speed. He was going full speed. Is he supposed to slow down and say, let's see if you're going to go out of bounds or not? So that was absolutely ridiculous, a ridiculous call. In fact, he was my most valuable player of the game on defense. At least he played at a pace that you need to play at to win championships. So on defense, I think that uh, they just couldn't slow him down. And I'll tell you what's going to be uh, something they're going to have to adjust to. You know, Arizona's coming into town, and Arizona's going to watch that film and Foles throws the ball all over the place. And uh, they're going to continue with that same type of plan, stretch the field. Why run at them? Stretch the field, make them cover the passes outside, and run the football off the pass. And that's exactly what Arizona State did. And SC really didn't start to dominate until the third quarter when they ran the football. And, of course, they fumbled the football when that happened. But they got to believe in it. They run the toss one play, and the announcer highlights the play, showing Khalil's block on the safety, which had to go – or the corner, which had to go out of the game, was he hit him so hard, they made, I don't know, 15, 20 yards. I forget what they made on the play, and they never run it again. So I, it's very difficult for me to understand. Cummings is the fullback in this game. He, I don't know if he's ever played in the game before at fullback. You know he's not going to cover the, carry the football, so I don't know. He's into the block, obviously. And then Carlisle. They burn a redshirt year on Carlisle. He hadn't played in one game the entire year. He's a freshman. You go on the road, and you play, play him as a number two guy. <laughs> it's just hard for me to figure it out. I just I can't figure it out. And, and as I said yesterday on the Trojan Brunch, I'd like someone to tell me this. And uh, and I had uh, Gilmore on, the receiver coach, yesterday morning, and, and I asked him some pointed questions. And, of course, it's very difficult for him to answer those questions, but it's time, I think, someone asks some of these questions and gets a real answer rather than your, their young football team. Okay, we all know that, but young football teams learn to win, and they, and they do certain things that 
take advantages of defenses and offenses. So that's my opinion in two minutes and a half. Okay. I went 30 seconds over. That's okay. No problem there. Um, okay, so we have so many questions. We're going to have to try and do it rapid fire. Is that cool, Coach? Yeah, any way you want. I know, but the, the problem, I mean, we do have so many, and there's a lot of in-depth stuff, but we'll try to give quick answers to all these points, and then we'll get to all the questions. Um, let's go international first. Michael in Toronto says he's watching a game and kept telling the telling himself you got to be kidding me his issues on offense were that the tight ends were not used um why were the tight ends used and you know they were used earlier in the season and then on defense why is the middle field always seems so open is it scheme issue or poor play he's tired of the excuses that coaches are making need that the coaches need to take responsibility for this and not the players that's a michael and toronto canada well i have to agree with him 100 percent on both issues there First of all, the tight end was completely out of the game, and the tight end should have been in the game because they were throwing to the receivers so far outside that Grimble and and uh, Ellison and these people, you didn't know Ellison was in the game, personally. I think he might have caught one pass. I don't even remember. They ran a bootleg, and it looked like it was predetermined when they threw the ball back all the way across the field to Telford, and he was double-covered. Uh, I don't know what they were thinking about there. If you look on the play side itself that looked like they were running an out and a corner out where both guys were wide open. So I'm not quite sure what was happening there, but I didn't see the replay again towards the side of the field that they bootlegged on. I think you really have to take advantage of your other receivers and spread the ball around the field. And, and you have to have routes that, uh, that come off of routes if you're stopping the fly. And if you're stopping certain routes, then they can't cover it all. You do comebacks. You do curls. You diff- do you different things to uh, to to counteract what the secondary is doing to you. So yes, I agree with you 100% as far as the tight ends and not using and diversifying your receivers at all. And what was the second half of that question? Oh, the uh, the middle of the field wide open. Is it yeah, the scheme middle or? field uh, is wide open. And 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 don't ask me. It, it, they run a simple slant pattern and you know, they don't cover it uh, they and i'll tell you the passes they were throwing weisberger osweiler was throwing were difficult passes to catch those swing passes and they caught every single one of them and ran up the field got up the field their receivers blocked well so they just kept running it now i'll tell you he fires the football and fc did not go after him couldn't get to him because they threw the quick routes and that was part of their game plan and uh, I don't know. You got to go after them, or you got to give it one or the other. They ran a three-man rush in an eight drop on one series there, and it stopped him. It sort of confused him. He, he threw the ball in, in the ground. He wasn't expecting to see that. So I think you got to mix it up more. I thought he'd played a gay game in Barkley, you know, with the interceptions and the same mistakes that he does. I feel sorry for him because he's trying to win, putting too much pressure on him, forced the ball. He knows it's all on his shoulders and. And it's really hard on the kid. I can just see it in his face now. You know, he's 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 when he's when he's trying to play. And that interception, perfect God. I mean, he didn't see him. He just threw the ball over there, and and that 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 was a big difference in the game. Okay. Uh, well, speaking of Barkley, here's a question. Um, we'll play this one. It's a voicemail. Yeah, this is a Joseph Andrea. Uh, another question, and I want a uh, question that I wanted to ask the coach. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, I used to go to Pasadena City College, L.A. City College. I, I'm, I might have taken coach around here somewhere. My roots are Pasadena, Duarte, Los Angeles. I got relatives all over L.A. But anyway, I have a uh, uh, question for coach. 
why is it that uh, Matt Barkley is kind of making the same mistakes as he did last year? I mean, you make it, you're doing these two and three step drops, and he, uh, he, he, he don't release it. He, he fumbles it. He gets frustrated. So there's uh, Joseph's question there. Well, why is it? Uh, I wish I could uh, answer that question. To me, he, I agree with you. He, he has not improved at a rate that you would think he should re, re, you know, re, improve at. He's now a junior, and they're talking about him being the third overall pick in the draft and so on. Well, you know, maybe he should be. But right now that doesn't demonstrate if I'm an NFL scout, if I'm an NFL coach, that that's the guy right now I'd want to take. Right now the way Matt is playing, he he should be playing uh, or, or Mark, uh, Matt, what's his first name? Matt, Matt Barkley. <laughs> yeah, Matt. Hell, I'm trying to talk so fast to get these questions. I know, sorry, yeah. <clears throat> that uh, that uh, he should stay in another year. But you know what? What's really hurting him is complementary routes. He's trying to run the same routes over and over and over without really having an opportunity to know if that route's covered, I'm going to go to this guy or that guy. You never see him really go. He works hard at trying to do that, but he doesn't have a lot of time to do that. And that's because, first of all, you have to establish a run. Their best way to throw the ball, really especially if you have a young line that's not performing that well, and I don't think the offensive line is performing well personally, is is to get a running game and run play-action pass because that gives you more time to establish uh, your time to be able to throw the football. But they haven't established any serious running the football, so people now on defense are starting to ignore it. They really are. They're saying, oh, they're not going to run the ball that much, and that's why in the second half, personally, that's why Tyler came out and ripped them up pretty good because they ran the ball and they weren't expecting that as much. They thought they'd come back out and do the same damn thing they did the first half. So you've got to run the football. You've got to have quick hitting plays where, where he can, you know, hit somebody quick where the linebackers don't jump out there and jump out of the, and get in cover zones. They don't have any quick hitting plays to help him. How many draws have you seen them run? If you're going to throw the ball that much, then you have to have a series off the passing game. You're going to be a passing football team. You don't need a lot of plays, but you better have a couple of draws, one off the three-step, one off the five-step, one off the seven-step, and have some screens to slow down these people coming after you. So they're afraid to stunt. You hold them for a minute, and then you have a draw pass where you fake the draw, then you come back up and you throw behind the linebackers who have stepped up to stop the draw. So uh, there's a lot of reasons. I think he's got too much pressure on him. He knows the whole offense is on his shoulders. Uh, it's, he's trying so hard to be good that sometimes you make mistakes. And, you know, that one sack he had when I think it was Martin broke down and they hit him from the backside down there, he held the ball too long, yet you got to block better than that. you got to block better than that. But he should have let the ball go or throw it out of bounds. But he had two guys to look at. The safety came over and covered the play he was going to throw to. So he should have either thrown the ball out of bounds or whatever, but not fumbled the football. And has a, You have to have a feel for your backside. You've got you to gotta almost have like you have eyes on the backside of your head, knowing how long and anticipate how long those guys will block for you because it's very tough. So uh, uh, that's okay. the way I feel on that. Okay. Um, well, Joseph, he, he actually sent a bunch of voicemails, and we love the voicemails, but please, if you can keep it to 30 seconds, 45 seconds or so, we can't play like a four-and-a-half-minute voicemail. Uh, it's just not going to work uh, on the podcast. But 
he went on to say he wasn't blaming Barkley, but he was. He's mostly blaming the coaching staff. He doesn't feel that the Kiffins are right, and he said they both have to go. And he actually wants you to coach this team. Well, uh, thank you very much, but uh, the chance of that happening isn't going to happen. No. <laughs> Let's get realistic and talk about things that, uh, that uh, can happen. My okay. number one suggestion is this, and that this is me, and you hear me on the radio talking about this on Sunday mornings, when, but that show isn't long enough either, is Lane has gone through a lot, a lot off-field activities. Now, I think he's a fine recruiter, and I think their staff's a great recruiter. But you cannot be a head football coach and be an offensive coordinator and have all these problems that SE has had. It requires too much of your time. I think the number one thing you have to do is become a head coach. If you watch Saban, how does he coach? Walks up and down the sidelines, control of the game, knows what's happening offensively, defensively. When a defensive player comes off the field that does something tremendous, he runs over and hugs him. They, they pour water on him after the game. All these type of things show that players care about you. You can't divorce yourself from your players, even offensively. And I think sometimes when you are so involved in the offense as far as being a coordinator, you lose other parts of the game. And I think that's possibly – he's a young coach, 36 years old. He still wants to call plays because he hadn't had his time – to be an offensive coordinator somewhere long enough period of time where he's willing to give it up. So he's wanting to have fun doing this. But, you know, when it doesn't work, you can't blame an offensive coordinator and get rid of him. If it doesn't work, now they blame you and they get rid of you. (laughs) So I think that there are a lot of great coaches that would kill to be the offensive coordinator at SC, and there's some on the staff that could be. And that would take a lot of pressure off of him. A lot of pressure where these coaches have been offensive coordinators and they've been places where the lights have been on, like uh, Al Borges is now at Michigan and all these guys. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to come back and be the offensive coordinator at SC and there's people there that can be offensive coordinators at USC. But as a head coach, you've got to be able to work the sidelines, work the officials, uh, not be concentrating as hard as he is concentrating on his plays and play card. He's got to get more involved in the game. He's got to have a relationship with his players. He's got to know when to yell. He's got to know when to hug. He's got to know when to love. He's got to know all of those things, and that's part of sitting in the big desk. It's, it's a hard assignment. People think it's easy. It's not easy. But uh, I, I would suggest that to him as far as, in the future or now or whatever, that he becomes more involved in the overall picture of the USC football program and be, becomes more of a uh, an image for the USC football program and allows a lot of the coaching to go to the assistant coaches because you can get the best assistant coaches in the country at USC. Okay. Uh, well, let's. Um, we're going to have to do these really fast now, Coach. Sorry about that. Where we are. Rapidly running out of time, and we got a whole bunch to get to. It's not your fault. It's my fault. I like to talk to you. <laughs> I know. So we're going to a couple sentences of each one, and we'll, we'll snap through these. Boyd and NorCal says, great podcast, guys. I watch very little NFL, but one thing I notice when I do watch is how well NFL corners come up and make tackles near the line of scrimmage. Is Monty's famed Tampa 2 defensive scheme really the best option at USC or any college team? What do you think? Quickly. Well, you, you know, it's hard for me to understand because I don't know what their game plan is defensively. But I tell you, when they're throwing in the, in the flats like that, 
okay, you gotta you gotta come up, you gotta run cover two, or you gotta do things where you got force immediately. But you can't get your linebackers out there that far fast. You gotta go. He's gotta force it back to your pursuit. You can't allow a back or receiver to catch those type of passes. Remember, the sideline is great if you can run them out of bounds, but you can't allow them to get extra yardage. So when you're out there, you have to come in, force the play where the back goes out of bounds on those swing passes, or force it back to your pursuing people coming inside out. And you've got to have your strong safety there. You've got you've got to roll. You've got to be careful. You got to have your your other uh, safety's got to be uh, really uh, really when you play that, you almost have to play a nickel defense, five DBs when they're throwing the ball like that on both sides of the field. Because you got to have immediate force. You can't cover it all, but I don't think their game was to run the football. But you got to take away first what they're, what they're trying to hurt you with and then go with the other or mix it up. Now, they lined up in the line of scrimmage a lot, so it's very difficult to, to substitute. And this is one reason they do that so that you don't have time to substitute and they continue running the same things. Few plays, but execute it right. And uh, I don't know what their game plan was. I know they could do the same thing the entire game. Arizona State didn't change one single thing in their game plan. They did the same thing the entire game. Um, okay. And then Renee wanted to know, he thought that USC should go with a 3-4 defense when you face spread offenses and have the corners play man-to-man and the safeties come up closer to the line of scrimmage. He's been very frustrated that the corners give – so much cushion and the bulk of the yards they get are short when safeties play deep. They're more reactionary as opposed to taking the initiative and becoming playmakers. What do you think about, about that? Well, you know, you know, she must know football or somebody's talking to her about a three, four defense. You have extra cover guys. You do. You got three down guys and an extra cover guy. And you can sometimes play your linebacker, bring your outside linebacker, drop him off in the flats and so on a lot easier, and, and it, it, it makes sense. It really does make sense. I, I have always run a 34 defense, and I, I really like it in the coverages because it gives me an extra cover guide and an extra stunt guy. And, and, you know, if I'm not getting to the quarterback with my down four, which SC is not doing, uh, SC is not getting pressure from their down four, then you, you can do different things with your tackles and linebackers and charges and coverages and place a man even with linebackers on, on backs that are swinging and, and running in the flats. Uh, I mean, you can put a line, you one of your outside linebackers, you know, team up with your inside outside linebackers and, 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 and play man on some of these guys. So yeah, I like that. And I don't like the cushions. I agree with you a hundred percent. I've always felt that if you have great athletes, you can play man. I love man defense pressure but that means you got to throw the ball in a hurry and when you play man you got to go after him though got to go after people because you can't cover a guy all over the field all day but i like the pressure i like to play offense on defense i like to confuse the offense i don't want the offense to see the same thing i had a lot of different fronts and so on that i would run and confuse them run them with the same people i think when they get in a rhythm and they feel comfortable at what you're going to do it's easier for them to operate. I want them to guess what I'm going to do. And uh, if we guess right and they guess wrong, we got a big play. All right. Uh, here's another voicemail question for you, Coach. Hey, good morning, Ryan. This is Gil. I um, had uh, three different points to make. I'll try to make them really quick. Uh, number one on the Arizona State game, I think um, when we were down by six when Barkley got sacked and, and fumbled, I think that whole thing could have been avoided if we went to the power game that uh, Harvey Hyde has been talking about. I think it really cost us. We're only down by six, 
and uh, we were running on them um, quite easily. And um, Mark Tyler said by putting Cummings in the backfield that it was creating some big holes. So I think if they would have tried to run it there, power run it, put their three best blocking, uh, run blocking alignment on one side, put Cummings in the back and just pounded that thing in, I think we would have did fine there. Um, I think a uh, second point is I think you should stop talking about freshmen and how they're going to make mistakes. I think that's not good for him, not good for the fans, and definitely not good for the freshmen. I'm sure they're they're tired of hearing that, and they don't want to hear that. You know, it gives them a built-in excuse to make mistakes. So my third uh, item was um, I thought it was a very poor decision to bring in uh, Amir Carlisle, even though I, I think the world of him. I think what what does that tell Paxton and McNeil? Are you gonna you know what I mean? Are you gonna still continue to work hard if you know basically he brings in somebody else into the picture? I, I just don't think that was a good solution to the problem. I think McNeil and Baxter, if used um, appropriately, will, will do great. Thank you very much, and I'm looking for your point of view. Thank. You. Thank you. Well, we already already addressed the Carlisle situation. I, I agree with you 100. percent Plus, burning a redshirt year. I mean, uh, I don't I don't understand that. Okay. Uh, the first one on the short yardage or power game. Yes, SC does not have any type or demonstrate any type of tough offense. I call it breaker offense. Well, we we either break their butts or they break our butt. Well, we line up. And I put my foot up, you know what, of the offensive linemen and backs or whoever they are, because we're going to go north and south. I don't know if they have an offensive play that they believe in that's going to go north and south. As I mentioned earlier, you can't run across the field when you're down on the goal line area. You've got to run straight ahead. And they do not have a power series. They do not have a quick hitting play. Their best short light yardage play is quarterback sneak. Uh, I think that they need to incorporate some type of quick hitting play or some type of power series. Like, they don't have time now, or they could, but you have to have a philosophy of uh, that you're going to run the football. No matter what happens, you're going to run the football. Now, do you have to run the football every play? Heck no, but if you run it well enough, you can do a lot of things off the run. They have to fear the run. they got to know you got great running backs and people that can play. So sometimes you got to get in a double tight end, which balances out the complete defense. Because when you're too tight, they got to play balance in the front. Then you bring, then it's me against you, and where you pull the offside guard, you lean through, you double team down, you kick out, you win power inside, and then you run a quick trap right up the middle, a reverse pivot, and they give it to the fullback, and he runs straight up the middle, and so on. So you got to have something there that people fear when you get in short yardage. Uh, I certainly don't. I want to mention this. I mean, I, I don't see why you shift in on a field goal attempt. I haven't decided why they do that. I'd love to ask Baxter. That just came to my mind right now. If someone out there was thinking about that, I think they had to call a timeout. I mean, if you're going to kick a field goal, run out kick a field goal. You're not going to go for two points then. You know, run out kick a field goal. A little too cute, huh? <laughs> yeah, huh? A little too cute there. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, let's get organized here. Let's don't out-coach ourselves. I mean, I love Baxter. I think that's a great job. Special teams are great. But got to be organized a little bit more on things like that where you burn timeouts and so on. But, yes, you've got to have a philosophy on short yardage. And you got to, when you're on the 10-yard line, you are not going to be denied. You are not going to be denied. Or you better run off on the other side of the field, son, or in a hole 11, or I'll get 11 that will not be denied. And uh, and I think this is something that, that they have to – I don't know if they're – I don't know. 
I don't want to call them soft. They're great kids. But I don't know if they're angry kids. I don't know if they're kids playing with a passion. And I think that's something you have to have. What do you think about the uh, freshman excuses part? Because that's been coming up a lot about, I don't know if it's excuses so much, but they do mention, you know, Lane Kiffin mentions a lot about how the guys are young. Well, I don't, I, you know, a lot of the young players are doing pretty good. I think Tyler was, what's Tyler, a senior? He's the one that fumbled. Yeah. Is it Barkley, a junior? Yeah. He's the one that's throwing intercepted passes. So, you know, to say that, I, I thought Bailey played pretty good. Ballard played pretty good. Now, Marcus Martin, he's a young kid playing in there. He got beat a couple of times. Uh, what other young players are out there? I don't know. McDonald's not young. Uh, I don't know who the young players are he's talking about. You? Yeah, I mean, well, he's, who? He, even he talked about in the conference call last night was that, you know, sometimes like maybe on Barkley's interceptions, it, it was like an inside blocker that, you know, like a Martin or somebody that missed a block. So he, Yeah, he did. He missed a couple of blocks. Yeah, I agree. But, uh, that, but that's not the cause for an interception. No, no, and I agree. There's, I, I, it just seems. I think the fans are kind of sick of hearing that the team is young. I mean, it, it's part of the problem with the sanctions that guys, some guys left, and he had to bring in a whole bunch of guys in this last class, and a bunch of them have to play now. I mean, that's understandable, but I don't think people want to hear that anymore. Four games in, you know, they're not no, freshmen. You, you know, you're right. Hey, Ryan, you're exactly. You know what people want to hear? People want to hear the truth. Tell us the truth, and we can live with the truth. Hey, we got out coached. We got out hit, and, and all they thought they won the Rose Bowl game. Dennis Erickson's won two national championships, and he said this might have been his biggest victory. Holy cow. I mean, that's, that's pretty big now. They better get themselves together because they're going to Utah, and they might be celebrating all week, or maybe they haven't even come in yet from their partying because they got a team that Utah is going to be ready to play them now. Because, you know, SC beat Utah, and they'll take them lightly and so on. So I, I'm going to tell you, that was a huge victory for them. But, you know, SC's got to get ready to take on Arizona. If they take on Arizona and beat Arizona, then they go into the bye with a 4-1 and one record. People aren't going to buy going into bye 3-2. and two. No, and 1-2 and no. in the conference. And, then, and yeah. then the next two games are on the road. Yeah. So that's not good. So you, you better get, you better, you know, uh, put some disinfectant on your wounds <laughs> and get back to it. Yeah. You better get back to it and figure out what's not going right. Um, well, we got a few more here, coach. And I want to, we'll try to just touch on them real quick. Brian had a few good points. Uh, something we already touched on, but one he said was watching UCLA games. I would give them all of our running backs, USC's running backs that have played for their two or three ones. Um, they doesn't seem like USC has anyone special there. Do you, I mean, do you think, I don't know if it's really the personnel coach or just the way they're kind of running guys in and out. Well, I, I don't think it's the personnel. I think uh, how can you get bigger running backs as far as name-wise that SC has? I mean, D.J. Morgan was recruited by everybody in the country, and you, you, you don't even see him anymore, okay? And he's your big runner. He's your big big hitter as far as if you want a home run. He, he won the city in the, what, hurdles or 100 meters or whatever. I mean, he's a burner. Well, you know, you might lose him. And I'll tell you, you can't lose these young kids. And by playing Carlisle like that, these other kids say, what the heck's going on? So, yes, no, I don't know if I'd change him. I think Franklin's a good back, hard-nosed type of back, runs hard-nosed, believe in what he's doing. And I'll tell you, UCLA can win football games if they just do this, play great defense, special teams, and run the football. Don't throw the football, UCLA. <laughs> just run the football. And believe me, 
they would win more than half their games by doing that, by not beating yourself. Well, what you don't want to do is beat yourself or have your players lose confidence in what you're doing. And if you're doing too much and you're not having success, they won't drink the Kool-Aid. You can only tell them so much, so many times certain things, and all of a sudden, you know what happens? They turn the radio off, and you don't want that to happen. You've got to be positive. You've got to go in, and you can't blame kids. You've got to put the blame where it really goes. You don't point fingers, and you've got to keep this team together. You've got to keep this team together, and I think that's one problem now they're going to have to do. But you have, you know, you have, if you have younger kids, then you've got to you know, nurse them a little bit longer. But they are great athletes, and you've got to build confidence, and you've got to do things that they can be successful with. And if you don't do things they can be successful with, then whose fault is it? You know? Yeah, no, I agree. You can't, you got, you got to do things that, that they can win with and, and have success with. And it's not a lot of things. It's just doing it right. You know, you don't, you don't learn to read until you learn the alphabet. You don't learn to walk until you, unless you crawled. You know, there's certain things, but you better do it pretty good when you do it. And right now, that's where the problem is. Uh, okay, and then the last couple of points here. We have Coach G and Jamal are both kind of critical of uh, – they've been writing into the podcast a while. Coach G says, based on his 44 years of coaching, playing four years of high school and four years of college, he's really upset. He wants that the off, he wants the offense to spread to use more spread concepts, and he wants the defense to be based more on like what Alabama, LSU, and Oklahoma do. He wants you know more aggressive on offense calls and, and – contained specifically on defense he wants to see the contain and 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 attacking a lot more and uh jamal over there he's really he's been wanting to fire lane kiffin i think since he started writing in he'd rather see boise state's uh peterson up coaching here at usc and um he doesn't like the way the sidelines unmotivated that they were and the coaches don't demand that the players play with attitude so a couple of guys that have definitely been critical of some of the coaching staff and you know we're writing in and talking about that well, I think uh, I'll start with that one uh, comment. Uh, Bob Davies, I don't know if you were listening to Bob Davies when he came in on the field and talked about emotion, and I was shocked he said this during the, the national televised game. He says, you know, it's different down here on the field. He says, there's not the emotion. There's no emotion on USC sideline. And so I'm repeating what he said. He says, when Pete Carroll was here, there was so much excitement and people were jumping around and in the game and so on. He says, that's the first thing I noticed. And, you know, it's hard to say that people don't notice that, especially coaches. Coaches watch coaches. I love watching the, what's happening on the benches and so on during the game. If, if people are communicating with their players, I'm sure coaches watch that. And people who listen to this show are hardcore football fans. So you can't BS you guys. You guys know football, and you see the same thing we see, or I see, or others see. And you sometimes wonder, how come they don't see it? And that's exactly what we're talking about. Uh, And and the contained portion of that question, I agree 100%. They've never had contained. They keep losing contained all the time by their outside ends, or if they do the cross-charging going in, the tackle never gets out to contain. And the first series of the game, on second down, second down, they had a four-man rush. They had him sacked, Osweiler sacked. 
he didn't, they didn't sack him. He ran up the middle, got a nine-yard gain. I think it was a first down. The next play, Marshall ran for a touchdown. You gotta, when you got him, you got to get him. And you can't lose him. And that's happened over and over and over. Not only this game, but how about the Utah game, the Syracuse game, the quarterback running up the middle, running up the middle. Hey, those guys aren't Wait till they face Thomas or some of these quarterbacks that can run. Those guys can't run. They're, they're nice statues back there. But you know where they are. They're, they're not supposed to be runners. They're quarterback, prototype quarterbacks in the pocket. So as far as being aggressive on defense, I have always, I just mentioned it a moment ago, Coach. Hey, I've always believed in being playing offense on defense, getting after you, really getting after you, making defense fun where you can't wait to get, oh, we're going to burn him on this one and get up there and show stun and then don't stun and, and then show stun and stun and do all kinds of things like that. I think that's what defense is all about. Even sometimes they went through the wrong gap, made the tackle. I said, great play. Because you know why? You made the play. you got to have playmakers. Playmakers, the only person I see right now on defense who's a playmaker is T.J. McDonald. Playmaker. And, and I think you got to have it. I think the defensive line has played far below what their expectation was. I agree there, Coach. And then uh, what about – Bringing in someone, you, 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 I mean, there's been a lot of talk about getting rid of Lane Kiffin. I, I just don't see that happening right now. I mean, I know there's some people that he's got a lot of critics, and a game like that brings out the you know critical nature of the people that were already not too high on him. But the what he's been having to deal with and the, the place that they are right now with sanctions, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff saddled on Lane Kiffin right now. I just don't see you know a three and one team. Uh, you know, beating, Azari beat a pretty good Utah team. They're not going to make any kind of change like that. I just, I just think the fans need to kind of get off of that. You got to wait till at least after the season, take a look at things. And I just don't see that happening. Well, first of all, I never advocate firing of a coach because I'm a coach and any coach out there that's listening or understands what I'm saying. There's families, there's staffs, there's so on that are out there that affects a lot of people's lives. So I don't advocate that ever. I advocate improvement. I advocate uh, uh, admitting things need to be changed or making changes within your staff to make sure you get better and give your players a chance to win. And I think that's what I advocate. Um, uh, I think that you need to continue to have the support of the administration because if you start looking over your shoulder too much, you lose the team and you lose your staff because coaches make calls every day. And if coaches get a feeling assistant coaches that there might be a change there, they're going to start to look for jobs. And that's going to affect recruiting and everything else because they lighten up on it. They don't believe. There's a bye week coming up. They do a lot of recruiting on a bye week. You don't want them making personal calls to say what's happening with you guys. So this is a time that is crucial as far as this win against Arizona and the team to look good. It really is. Arizona now, when you play Arizona, you don't think they can beat USC? Hey, they played Oklahoma State. They played Stanford. They played Oregon the last three weeks. Three teams in the top ten. You think SC scares them? Yeah. (laughs) SC doesn't scare them. Stoops is half crazy anyway. So he'll have that team coming in here thinking that this is going to be easier than in a squad game after who we played. 
So this is a tremendous challenge for USC to rise up and win this football game, or it's going to be really tough after that. I agree 100%, Coach. And uh, thanks for, man, we went really long in this segment. I feel bad, uh, but thank you. And thanks for, sorry if we missed any questions there. We're trying to get to more. We'll get to more with Dan Weber in the next segment. But thanks again, Coach, for all the uh, candid insights. And maybe we'll have some more positive things to talk about next week. I certainly hope so, because I don't like to talk like this. Cool. All right. Well, thanks very much again, and we'll talk to you again soon. Dan Weber coming up in 30 seconds. More USC questions on the loss to Arizona State. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining us in the show. Dan, how's it going? How was your trip out to Tempe? Oh, uh, mixed results. As they say, <laughs> it's a dry heat. And, uh, man, um, it was a, that, was a, that was a difficult game uh, to, to, for everybody involved uh, in every way you could imagine that a game could be difficult. Uh, it was a, a whole bunch of different games put together, and the results uh, not very uh, not very pleasing uh, for USC. Certainly not, and there was a lot. Of, so, you know, as you know, we have a lot of uh, questions this week uh, on the show, so I wanted to try and get to all of them if we can, and I want to jump in here first with Amir from Sherman Oaks. He had two different points. Uh, he thought that the defensive line was supposed to be one of the best in college football, but they've really underwhelmed in their performance any insight to what is happening is it do they look bad in practice or is it just a game time ordeal that they're they underwhelm is it the system lack of performance poor coaching what's going on there and then he's also mentioned chris galippo talking about him being the worst defender on the field on the field and space he needs to to make these tackles he's not doing it he looks slow out there um, and in the in the uh, ASU game, he was out there pretty much the entire game. Is there someone else that can get a shot? I know that uh, Dawson was hurt, but is there anyone else that can get in there and, and try to make plays at, at middle linebacker? That's uh, from Amir and Sherman Oaks. Well, for Amir, uh, just take the second one first. Uh, they did uh, have Will Andrew out there some. Um, I know there, there's a theory that maybe uh, when you're going to see a lot of the kind of offenses that they're looking at, although, you know, Arizona State wasn't – you know, you know, completely the, you know, the spread in terms of, uh, you know, the way they were running the ball. But, uh, uh, you know, do you go with the, uh, the nickel exclusively and have five, uh, you know, five secondary guys basically, uh, you know, who can run to the ball and, uh, and you don't get caught with three linebackers in there. Uh, it's a thought. And it's something they're probably going to have to think about where you don't line up with three linebackers on every play. Uh, possibly, uh, you know, I mean, the, the problem I think with the defense looked bad is they give that big long run. Is, and I give like credit on this one. If you take away the first run, which obviously you can't do, 
they gave up 99 yards, uh, you know, on the ground. So uh, what you can't do is have one of those just horrendous plays where no one's in the play, where everybody, you know, and they've been losing um, uh, contain on the outside, uh, on either the quarterback or the football, where everybody, you know, comes down, and then they all get blocked, and then they, they miss the last two shots at making the tackles because they've reverted to, you know, tackling ban. So, you know, I know it's sometimes people focus on, you know, on one player. It's almost never one player. Uh, if you talk about them, the defensive line, I think uh, when you talk to Ed Orgeron, I think this is another one of those games where it's pretty much inexplicable. I mean, when Ed really, if Ed doesn't like his players or the way they're playing, he will tell you. Uh, late last week, he thought that this, you know, team, this front four was playing as well as he could have hoped for it to play. The fact that they just got totally stymied uh, last week, I guess one of the things that happens, and obviously teams scheme for USC, is that's two straight quarterbacks that get rid of the ball really quickly. And it's obvious their entire game plan is built on getting rid of the ball quickly because uh, they're not going to have much time against the USC defense. Now, USC did not blitz a great deal. Uh, And uh, Arizona State's offensive line uh, has been spotty. Uh, They were supposed to be pretty good. They're pretty veteran. Uh, then they uh, uh, didn't do a good job last week uh, when they were throwing the ball deep against Illinois. They really Illinois was really able to pressure Osweiler. So I think Arizona State learned from that, and they also learned from watching Syracuse film against USC that they had to get the ball out quickly. They really helped their offensive line by getting the ball out quickly. I don't think USC helped the defensive line by doing anything um, to help them uh, increase the pressure. It, it just seemed like a, it was a kind of a, uh, a defensive attitude about their defense where they were trying to not take chances and not really go hard to the quarterback. And even on the plays where they almost got it, and there were a number of those where they were very close, uh, he got rid of the ball, and uh, you saw secondary guys trailing receivers who were able to catch it quickly. Uh, a heck of a job by Arizona State getting ready for the game, I thought. Not such a good job by USC getting ready for Arizona State. agree 100% with that one, Dan. I think a lot of the USC fans out there would as well. Uh, here's a voicemail question we have coming, and we had a few of those today, too. Yeah, hey, good morning to you, Ryan Abraham. Doing a great job, buddy. I just wanted to get your take on this. I think third down conversion rate, red zone scoring percentage, and making excuses for Barkley, all equal being soft and are a reflection of the character of the head coach. And it needs to be fixed. Okay? Just wanted to get your take on that. Thank you. Bye. I'm not sure about exactly the wording of the third question. I think the Barkley, we, we found out a little bit on the conference call last night. Because during the game, it was obvious. Uh, some of his footwork uh, changed and some of his deliveries changed. And I remember in, in writing live from the press box, I'm saying, wow, he's throwing off the back foot and he's maybe over it. I mean, the one ball that the first pass to Robert Woods, that would have been in the overthrew that would have been a, um, uh, what, a 64 yard touchdown pass. He actually overthrew it from his back foot. And 
which shows that his arm clearly is stronger this year. Uh, but then we found out later that he'd gotten hit on his front leg uh, and was kind of trying, I don't even know if he had told the coaches, but he was trying to protect that front leg so he wasn't coming down on the front leg, wasn't quite coming through and throwing off his back foot. And so then, and he was kind of throwing uh, all arm action. And uh, so I think that, uh, because of his uh, uh, the change in his mechanics this year, and that when he's throwing the ball with it, with the really good mechanics, when he's throwing and stepping through and uh, drilling the ball, uh, you know we've you know he's certainly been more accurate. And uh, uh, there was some uh, there was some of that lack of accuracy uh, the other night where you weren't really sure where the ball was going, and he, there were open targets where he was either short or long. And I think that explains some of that. Uh, he said, I think Lane was very hesitant to put the blame on, on, on Matt after watching the film again and saying, yeah, you know, you can say it looks like the, um, uh, the veterans were making the mistakes, but he said there would be a breakdown somewhere else on the, on the one interception where Matt's trying to make a play and throws the ball up for grabs. Uh, they clearly, USC clearly whiffs on a, on a block at right tackle where he's got a guy in his face immediately. Now, my thinking is on that play, you don't throw the ball up for grabs. You either throw it out of bounds or, or you take the sack. Uh, but, uh, you know, there, there are some you know, differences of opinion about, uh, about uh, you know, how much Matt was, was to blame for that. There are some explanations uh, in terms of, uh, you know, looking at the mistakes and looking at them as, as kind of player issues as a you know, all I was you know, my background as a former high school coach, I always thought that if players didn't execute what you um, really want them to do, and if they're making mistakes, I think that's on you. I think that's the coach's issue. That's uh, that's not the uh, you know in the NFL maybe you go to the next guy, uh, and they have to be ready. And it's you know it's their career, it's their livelihood. They're 30 years old. Uh, you know, whatever, um, you know, they better be ready. In college, it would seem that if there are mistakes, you know, if there are four turnovers, that that's really on the coach. That's not on the players, that, that you have to get them ready so that they can uh, do the things you want them to do without coughing the ball up. And uh, so that, that would be my take on, on how you look at the, the mistakes. All right, uh, let's move on to Clay. He says, every QB we faced has put up great numbers on us. There are windows all over our zone. At what point do we try something else? And he has, P.S., question for you, Dan Weber. Do you have just one Rose Bowl hat, or do you have a closet full of them? <laughs> so I think he's referring to, you do like to wear your Rose Bowl hat, but we wear it when we do our instant analysis. You can see all of us on the, uh, on the, on the video there. Actually, I've got a closet full of hats. But my Rose Bowl hat travels better because I can fold it up and stick it in my backpack. So, uh, uh, and, I, and I kind of wear it. It's kind of a statement for this year and last year at the uh, insanity of the NCA rulings and the fact that the um, uh, Pac-12 last year had its first ever meeting at the Rose Bowl where 11 coaches were allowed to celebrate the Rose Bowl and USC had to show up and kind of be embarrassed about not being able to go to the Rose Bowl. I didn't really like that. I thought that was Bush. 
uh, and I'm actually have sort of decided that I'm wearing my Rose Bowl hat almost all the time for two years, uh, kind of in protest to uh, the the NCAA rulings and the uh, Pac-12 celebrating the Rose Bowl when USC couldn't be part of the Rose Bowl, and USC, the team that most represents the Rose Bowl college football history. So that's just the inside of the, the Rose oh, Bowl hat. Good stuff, uh, Dan. I like it. There nice. actually is a story, if you can believe it. Great. <laughs> Behind the Rose Bowl hat. And I'm sorry, I wish I, if you could remind me the other question, the Rose Bowl oh, hat. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, every quarterback has put up great numbers, windows all over the zone. What point yeah, do you Yeah, this is good coaching. And, and this is uh, the kind of thing. I think both quarterbacks also came into the game having thrown lots of long balls, uh, according to the you know kids who saw the film on Syracuse and saw the film on Arizona State, and both made – significant adjustments to throw the ball underneath USC, deciding, you know, we probably can't go deep on them. Uh, the issue, however, is we saw it last week. They tried to go more man, uh, and they really haven't maybe played enough man over the years that you could say, well, we've got athletes or we've got this or we've got that if you're a USC coach. But if you can't, uh, uh, you know, execute the technique, if or if, you know, it's something you haven't done. I still remember Terrell Thomas, uh, and this, so this goes back to uh, Pete Carroll years as well. And Terrell Thomas, his senior year, said, after senior year, before the draft, he said, I've got 10 man-to-man film. Uh, I've got 10 man-to-man plays on film. He said, I think that will be enough. So this is a guy now that turned, has turned out to be a really, really top NFL, uh, you know, cornerback. And uh, he had, at USC, he had a, a total of 10 plays where he was allowed to play man-to-man. And hopefully he said that will be enough for him to see if I can play man-to-man. But I'm not sure if you don't do it regularly, if you don't believe in it completely, are you able to just go and say, well, we're going to play man-to-man? Because then do you just end up with guys trailing guys uh, and nobody uh, you know, behind them? Uh, so, you know, you might think let's go do it, but now you know you got to really know how to do it. And the second thing that makes that a more difficult issue is there really is no secondary coach. You have uh, Monty Kiffin and Sammy Knight sharing, uh, you know, the secondary, and uh, both of them are pretty much uh, you know safety uh, focused guys. Sammy was the safety coach, was a safety. Uh, and Monty was more of a focus uh, on the overall defense through the safeties. So uh, there is an issue a little bit there of just the, you know, the technical uh, day-to-day uh, working with cornerbacks and get, getting them up to speed on, uh, on being able to do uh, uh, you know, press coverage uh, you know, as well as, uh, as you really need it uh, against teams that really execute well. And, uh, you know, it's not going to end with, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Nassib of, you know, Syracuse and with uh, Brock Osweiler. You know, you've got, uh, you know, more good quarterbacks coming up that get rid of the ball quickly. And, uh, you know, everybody goes to school on, uh, you know, the game film uh, the week before against USC. So uh, you would think USC is going to see, uh, you know, virtually the same thing that they saw at Arizona, you know, from Arizona State without a doubt. Now, that's the kind of game USC – doesn't turn the ball over four times, does get touchdowns instead of field goals, they still win that game. But uh, they didn't. And uh, so, uh, you know, we're going to have to see how this goes. But 
I'm not sure that changing up the defense right now uh, changes things that much if they aren't able to to really play, uh, uh, you know, man-to-man. All right. Well, thanks for that one, Clay. Uh, Mitchell's got a couple questions. I think I'll just read you one at a time. We can answer both of them. The first one, though, he's talking about the system at USC and, and some of the great offensive players that have been here seem to coddle the quarterbacks into non-NFL situations where you're kind of faced with no pressure in the pocket. In the pocket, excuse me. Barkley's been good this year, but when pressure got to him, he had no idea what to do. The pick six and the fumble were just two plays that exposed Barkley. Liner and eventually Sanchez, you saw some of that as well, where they kind of haven't done as well in the NFL. I guess I would disagree on the Sanchez point. I mean, he's obviously done done well there. But uh, does USC does the USC system not prepare, prepare quarterbacks, or are they just not getting top talent? What do you think about the quarterbacks at USC? Well, I mean, they would argue that it absolutely totally prepares them for the NFL, and that that's the whole goal of their system is to uh, – uh, put them in a, a very NFL-like situation week to week and uh, and do nothing. But, uh, you know, and, and one of the reasons that they will tell you that they don't want to change so much of what they're doing is because that's not what they do in the NFL. Now, obviously, the NFL has changed. And, uh, uh, you know, 60% of NFL offense now is, uh, you know, guys out of the shotgun. And that's not something that USC has gone to. So, you know, they may be – in a world that doesn't exactly exist in the NFL. Um, you know, I mean, I, and, and I don't know that any one of them is the same answer. I don't think the Matt Liner situation was, uh, uh, you know, uh, as a result of what happened to him at USC. It was mostly a result of what happened to him uh, because of his own coaches and because of his, his own actions in the NFL. And uh, a lot of times you got to be matched up with the system that you know that fits you. I think, for example, Mark Sanchez has done really well, and I think it's because uh, Rex Ryan understood Mark Sanchez really well and was able to take advantage of of what he could do and what he couldn't do. But I think Mark Sanchez, you know, uh, uh, you know, the USC system probably did really prepare him, uh, you know, for the NFL. Might not have been the greatest for him week in week out at USC, uh, but. Uh, but I don't know if you can draw any conclusions about the USC system and, and USC quarterbacks. I think those basically become uh, individual, uh, you know, uh, situation according to the, uh, you know, the circumstances for each guy at both USC and in the NFL. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I don't think that's the case. And then uh, the second part of Mitchell's questions, uh, so far the offensive line, has been lucky to see very little injuries. Abe and Martin Coleman are a couple of other ones, and Giovanni DiPaolo obviously earlier. But what happens if Kevin Graff or Matt Khalil do go down? I see David Garnes or uh, Nathan Guttler as their backups. I'm very scared that one offensive tackle injury could leave the offensive line in shambles. He says, love the show, hated the Arizona State game, Mitchell. Hey, uh, Mitchell, I, you know, I think, for example, uh, you know, another injury and it's uh hello andre you know uh come on big guy uh and and to be honest with you if that were the case and you end up with two freshmen true freshmen in there it might require usc to become a whole lot less complex in what they're trying to do and you know what that might be a good thing you know that might be a really good thing if you had to actually adjust to where your players are as first-year college players. I don't know. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Jeremy Galton does give them 
uh, kind of an uh, you know a guy that a utility player who um, uh, you know can back up at both guard and tackle. You know, uh, if Nate, if Nathan Gertler were 290 pounds. Uh, you know, and I know that hypothetical, you know, maybe he is putting on weight. He was, I think, last time we talked to him, like 276. Uh, he's not a bad player. He's a walk-on, but uh, I think he could actually be, you know, be of help uh, as as they go down the road. I'm not so sure, you know, that, uh, you know, the Abe Markowitz, that hurts him, I think. He, Abe was technically a really good player and a smart player and a strong guy. And, and and probably their best pass blocker, and he gave them a backup at both guards and center. So that one hurts, uh, I, I think. And that's a, that's one of those under-the-radar things because people haven't seen him play. So that he's now going to miss the second season in a row, you know, doesn't you know register for a lot of people. But uh, uh, he, he makes them a lot better. And they haven't been terrible. I mean, for example, if you say, oh, they couldn't run the ball in the first half, well, they could run the ball in the second half, and they actually ran the ball better than Arizona State did. Uh, so, you know, was it a case of they can't block people? I mean, Elaine, in evaluating the game, said, I thought we had them back on their heels with our offensive line against their defensive line after, you know, early in the fourth quarter. You know, I thought we were pushing them around. And you think, well, if USC was pushing them around in the second half, wouldn't they have been capable of pushing them around in the first half? <laughs> and if that's the case, why weren't they pushing them around in the first half? Was it the players or the plays? I, I think it's a question you have to ask. And unfortunately, it was my next question after uh, when we uh, maybe got cut off just a little bit quickly last night in the conference call. That was the next question as to, we weren't able to explain the disparity between first and second downs where they were really fairly efficient and third downs where they almost had total breakdown. Lane said he's never seen that kind of disparity, difference between the first and second and third downs. And I was trying to get him to tell us what was the difference between the run blocking in the first half and the run blocking in the second half. How can you be you know, that uh, ineffective in one half and that effective in the second half? Uh, it's a, a, an interesting question. It's one I don't have a really good answer to, other than the style of uh, the way they attacked Arizona State. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for those questions, Mitchell. And let's go to Jim in Huntington Beach, uh, Surf City, USA, I believe. Uh, he says Brian and Dan. It's Ryan, actually, Jim, but that's okay. Uh, he's like, I have started. I was starting to see how badly the ASU taller receivers were abusing Nickel Roby. I had not noticed that happening to him in the past. What can be done by the defensive scheming to lessen this in the future? So he's concerned about uh, taller receivers going against the shorter Nickel Roby. Well, I mean, I think Arizona State there is the uh, outlier, the exception. They've got three of them. They got three of the six three guys and. It was when you get you get down on the field and you see those three six three guys lined up and you thought, okay, you just don't see that. Okay. So uh, I think it's that's a hard that's a hard deal uh, if they're going to get rid of the ball quickly and uh, you're probably not going to be able to you know quite get pressure on them all the time. Do you take some more chances on blitzes and just truly try to figure some way and sell out everything uh, to try to get there, knowing that. You still might not be able to get there, you know, because you gotta, 
you know, a six eight guy who's going to be able to get the ball over you if he gets it out. I mean, it's it's odd that you got a six eight guy who really has quick hands and quick feet. That's that's unusual. And when your total uh, game plan is to get rid of the ball quickly and, uh, you know, throw it underneath, uh, there isn't a lot you can do on that third receiver. So you can't just match up Nickel on the non-tall guy uh, against the, against Arizona State. You know, he's going to find you – know, he's going to be on a tall guy. Uh, so that's a tough one. I'm not sure you can set your defense up uh, uh, for the rest of the year based on – uh, the fact that Arizona State has three uh, uh, three wide receivers who are six three, and they knew it. They were ready. That's what they planned to do. I mean, they knew they they had the uh, you know the size matchup advantage, and they they just stuck to it. What USC probably needed to do was give them more uh, you know short plays in the run game so that they they faced uh, you know more of those situations where you could take a chance uh, uh, and you know on defense, but they. You know, uh, again, it's a kind of a game where you still should outscore them if you don't have the four turnovers. I think that's the, in that game when they're playing well and they played well, they were really ready to play. That was not a a typical uh, mistake, uh, you know, filled Arizona State game. They were focused. They wanted that game badly. They were really, I mean, that looked like what good college football teams look like at home in games they have to win. And in their mind, they were playing for the Pac-12 South and the right to get into the championship game. So that was their championship game, and they knew it, and they played like it. And uh, uh, that's one of those games you probably have to win by not making mistakes on offense because the, you know, the couple of things they decided to do on offense, they were probably going to be able to do to some extent. All right. Well, thanks for that one, Jim. Uh, let's see. It's from Bill. It's kind of more, I, I thought there was going to be a question here, but it was more some uh, comments. He's tired of the play calling. He didn't like, there were three third and down, uh, third and long situations earlier in the game. They all end up being runs. He didn't like that. He wants his team to take shots and don't be afraid to go downfield. And uh, he has some concerns with the front four not being able to get to the quarterback. He knows there's, there's a lot of ASU uh, quick swing passes, but he just felt like there was no pressure at all. And he's also commenting about Chris Gallipo looking slow out there. So that's Bill kind of said, I thought there was a question, but it was just kind of a bunch of different uh, comments from Bill. Maybe you want to. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, those observations probably aren't, aren't incorrect. Um, but uh, uh, I think it's, you know, there are different ways to win football games. And, and this is one where USC had to execute on offense and had to be, as flawless as um, uh, Arizona State was and had to be as well-prepared and as focused as Arizona State, and they weren't. Uh, had they been, they win the game. Uh, I think it's pretty simple. Uh, you know, they don't give them a couple of scores on uh, with their turnovers, and they give uh, – and then they, they, you know, get a couple of scores they didn't get, uh, and, you know, USC still wins the game. I mean, it's still like the, uh, you know, the Texas game in the Rose Bowl. You know, it didn't matter what the heck Vince Young did if USC wouldn't have coughed the ball up a couple of times and, uh, you know, not scored where they should have scored, they still win the game. And um, so uh, that might have been one of those games where you just have to execute on both sides of the ball and you're going to win on offense if you uh, if you do it right. And, and they didn't. Uh, but I thought, you know, they need to figure out what to do against that attack because they're going to see it a lot. Now, some teams may not have a guy that 
you give him the, the play, he's going to, like uh, Cameron Marshall, he's going to take it all the way. Uh, but, uh, you know, you certainly can't have those, those big, big one-play defensive breakdowns, and you can't have the multiple turnovers. Uh, it's, it's that simple. Uh, uh, and so otherwise, you know, it's easy to say when they're throwing the ball real quickly that that Calippo, you know, might might look slow to you. Um I, I think the focus on one guy is probably not the best focus on what the issues are with this USC team. I agree with you there, Dan. And let's see, last couple of questions here. JJB, he's saying, Demetrius Wright, whatever happened to him? For a while, they were talking about him like he was second coming of Troy Palmalo. I haven't heard much from him. Um, and what is your gut feeling about how long Ed Orgeron's going to be at USC? And uh, just on the same line, David had a question. What does the coaching staff see in Juwanza Starling that I don't? So it's kind of a question there. He seems to miss more yeah, tackles I mean, than Demetrius he makes. Demetrius was, the, was the, you know, the starter there until the, the, the first Coliseum scrimmage, and he got that, that really bad uh, hip pointer. I mean, the worst one I think we've ever seen. I mean, he, he almost got carted off the field with a hip pointer, and everybody thought it was way more serious injury. It turns out it was a really, really serious hip pointer, and he got bypassed by uh, Jawanza at the time, and they really liked what they were seeing, you know, from Jawanza. And uh, uh, he's not been able to, uh, you know, despite, you know, rumblings and what have you, he's not been able to, uh, uh, you know, get past, you know, get back into that starting role, and I know he's really frustrated. I mean, he's a kid it really, really wants to be out there and really wants to play hard and really, you know, has been competing hard um, to get back out there. Uh, again, I think the focus on one player might not be, you know, the exact way to go, uh, you know, when you look at this USC team. And one of the problems, I think, and, and this is always a, a difficult issue, we go to practice every day and, and we know the players and what have you, but we're not – we don't know – for example, every single you know defensive call, and we don't know the responsibilities and the way they're actually coaching this one against this offense, and so it's not always absolutely uh, we're not able to judge absolutely who did what wrong. You might be covering for somebody else who wasn't where he was supposed to be. They still, as much as they simplified things uh, or tried to simplify things. It may not always be that simple, and it may not always be that uh, enough for us to really judge. Now, obviously, if you know if a guy whiffs on a tackle, or he comes in high and he looks like one of those NFL guys where they try to take a guy down just by you know contacting him in the middle of his chest, they don't wrap. Uh, then you can say, what the heck is he doing? And uh, so obviously, you can look at that you know that play and that missed tackle where. All you have to do is wrap the guy, or all you have to do is take him, you know, stop his legs, and and he doesn't score. So, uh, but uh, I'm not sure always without seeing the film and without knowing all the calls that you can focus on one guy other than maybe one or two plays uh, and say he's the problem. But you know, it's certainly you're not the only one that, that that's mentioning that, uh, Jim. So. All right, cool. Well, uh, one last thing I want to leave you on, Dan. Thanks for getting through all those. Man, that was a ton of questions there, and we thank everyone. I think it was a record-setting number of questions we got this week. Uh, one thing I wanted to leave you with, Dan, maybe I don't know, get your thoughts on this. 
Um, if you look at the game and you look at the score, you're like, oh, ASU dominated. But USA, USC actually had more yards rushing. They had more yards passing. They had better net punting and they had way better kickoff numbers. And they had won the time of possession. <laughs> so it's funny that USC did that well in those aspects of the game. But obviously they, they lost on the penalties and they lost over the turnovers and third downs were a killer. Uh, only one of three conversions. But I don't know if, you, if people would even realize that USC did win all those other categories as far as stats go. Yeah, I thought Dennis Erickson was absolutely right on point. Uh, you know, what was the difference, Dennis, after the game? And Dennis, it, you know, took him no time. I don't even know if he had the stats yet. He said, you know, turnovers and penalties. Absolutely. Turnovers and penalties. Take away the turnovers. Take away the penalties. Game's not very close. And they played really well. And you take away the turnovers, take away the penalties, and you make one more play on defense on the long run, and it's not a close game. That's what, that's the frustration, I think, is, uh, you know, knowing that. I mean, USC, you got to give them credit. They didn't quit. Uh, they didn't, you know, drop their dauber totally, uh, poor were they frustrated. At the end, they were as mad and as upset the players at the end of that game as I've ever seen them. They really, they just were beside themselves in trying to figure out how did we, uh, you know, look this bad on this night? What the heck was going on here? And uh, it's the, the challenge is to uh, to make that the one time all year. Uh, to, but you know. It's a challenge because uh, I think there's a different way of approaching these games that Dennis Erickson went to. And Dennis Erickson said, we're a college football team. This is going to be an emotional game. We're going to be tough. We're going to execute. We're going to come right at you. We're going to do things that we can do that we think it's going to be hard for you to stop us. I'm not going to try to outcoach you by coming up with 47 different things you haven't seen. I'm not going to go and try to find a new player that's going to be the answer to all our problems. I'm not going to you know, do things I can't do. I'm just going to try to do things we can do and that we believe in, and we're going to just keep doing them until you can stop them. Uh, it's a whole different philosophy uh, than what you saw with USC's. I think it, you know, Saturday night you saw which of those philosophies works better in games like this. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a, it, there's kind of a philosophical issue going on uh, with the USC program now and what direction does it go? Uh, do you keep trying to find new players at positions wherever you've got them? Uh, or, you know, do you try to come up with, you know, great, great plays that are, just the best play call you could ever make? Or do you come up with, uh, this is who we are, this is how we play, try to see if you can stop us, because we do this really well. We believe in it, we execute it well, we're not going to make mistakes, we're not going to give you any uh, opportunities to take advantage of our mistakes. And you're going to have to earn everything uh, that you get against us. We're giving you nothing. That's probably high school coach in me says that's the direction I'd go, especially with a young team. Yeah, we'll great. See. Yeah, we'll see, Dan. But great stuff as <laughs> always. We appreciate it. And uh, 
thanks to everyone out there for tuning in. It's a, probably the longest podcast in quite a while, but we had so many questions. We want to try to get to each and every one of them. We do apologize not having Gerard Martinez on this week. We're going to do something during the week, so check out uscfootball.com, and we'll maybe have him on our live show on Wednesday. We're, we're planning to do it at McKay's Wednesday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, our live Ustream show, so definitely check that out, and we posted the last week's version up on peristylepodcast.com. But uh, thanks again, Dan, and uh, everyone else out there. Thank you very much, and we'll, we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.